Welcome to the Field of Church podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. I want to tell you guys a little secret. So much about life, if you really want to get ahead, it's not really about being good at what you do. It's being really good at who you know. Who you know, knowing the right people, that's the key to making it in this life. So I'm going to share with you something that happened to me about 16 years ago. And if you're a regular attender or fielder, then you've probably heard some of this story before. But it was a season that was very humbling in my life. So at the time, my wife, she was the breadwinner of the family. She was a school teacher. I was going through seminary. But we realized as I was getting to the end of seminary that it was time for me to be the one to provide for the family. We prayed about it and felt like she was called to the home to raise our daughter, Abby, and then our growing family. And so it was time for me to go out, find a job. I'd been training for this and provide for my family. And I was militant about it. I was going to find a job. I was going to find a way to support my family. So I started sending my resume all over the place, 60 different churches. Any church that was looking for a pastor, my resume was on their desk. I'm making phone calls. I'm going to do what I can to get hired. And what I learned is, now looking back, I had a highly over-exalted view of self. I didn't realize it at the time, but I, I thought way too much of myself because I had accomplished a few things when I was in seminary. I had won some awards that, that seemed very meaningful to me at the time. I'd, I'd won an award called a, a President's Scholar Award. I, I became the, a, the Pastoral Leadership Award recipient. I, uh, I, I won a preaching award when I was in seminary. All these things that I thought would be really important to people because they showed that I was a high achiever and, and maybe that I was intelligent. At the time, I had just gotten back from living overseas for two years as a missionary. I was bilingual, ready to work hard for any church that would let me in the door. So I was excited thinking uh, that I'd, I'd get hired by a church. Six months go by and not a single church would even return a phone call. Wouldn't respond to my resume going out. And man, let me tell you, the Lord humbled me immensely in that season. I went into a really dark place for, for a few months there because I just, I felt like a failure. I felt like no one wanted me. Like I had just wasted four years of my life going to seminary because apparently I'd chosen the wrong profession. I was never gonna get a job because no one was willing to hire me. And what I didn't know at the time was that I was so focused on what I had accomplished I didn't realize that it was much more about who you know, and I didn't know the right people. I didn't have those kind of connection points, and so no one would talk to me until my, my friend Greg Frona enters into the story. Now, let me tell you about my friend Greg. So he and I met each other in seminary. We became quick friends, but his story was different than mine, so he was actually in the business world for a number of years, and he left corporate America because he felt called into the ministry. So he's a little bit older than I was, already ahead in his career. And because of his business experience, he got hired on as an executive pastor of, of one of the larger churches here in Arlington. And he began his seminary career to get ready for ministry. And that's where he and I met. And, and we just hit it off. We got along in a lot of good ways and built a strong friendship. Well, now, fast forward two years after he and I had first met in seminary. And my friend Greg is having lunch with another executive pastor of another church in the city. And he's telling this other executive pastor about this young seminary kid named Jason that he thinks would be a good hire for that person's church. Well, that person's name was Mike Wyrick and that church was Fielder Church. And within a month and a half, I got hired on to be one of the pastors of Fielder Church. After six months of looking, all it took was one relationship. Don't you dare tell me that it's not about who you know. Relationships are key. It's way more about who you know than what you can accomplish if you wanna make it in life. 
Now, I know you're going, okay, great nugget of truth, Jason, but what does that matter? I thought we were talking about the Bible. Well, let me tell you why it matters. The exact same thing is true in your faith. Who you know is way more important than what you do as it pertains to your faith. Now, I know that sounds counterintuitive because most of us, when we think about the faith, we think about our actions, the things that we do for God. But I'm here to tell you, not, not actually not me, the Apostle Paul is here to tell you that it has way more to do about who you know than what you do. And I don't mean like knowing the pastor or knowing a deacon or, or knowing a church member. He's going to tell us that it's really about knowing the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. That the entire Christian faith is about knowing Christ. And as long as we get that right, everything else is going to fall into place. He's going to tell us that in the book of Philippians, chapter 3. So open up your Bibles into the New Testament. So about halfway through the New Testament, book of Philippians. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, first of all, welcome. I'm so glad you're tuning in today. What we're doing right now is we're going through the book of Philippians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we're looking at this letter written by the Apostle Paul to a small little church in Philippi. And there's a lot of rich history about this church, but apparently this little church was under attack. There, there was a group of people that were, that were coming after this church and trying to, to meld into it false thinking, trying to knead into it wrong thinking. And they were trying to teach this little church at Philippi that their personal work for Jesus was more important than their personal relationship with Jesus. And the Apostle Paul knew that if they, they fell prey to this false doctrine, it would ruin the church. So he comes against it. But when he starts out, he starts off with the theme that he's been going through during the entire book of Philippians, the theme of joy. I want you to read just the first verse in Philippians chapter three. Listen to what it says. It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So he says right off the beginning, guys, this is the hinge point. It's halfway through the book of Philippians. He says, I want to tell you again, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble. He's talking about the fact that this is already the 12th time in the book of Philippians in just two chapters that he has written, mentioned the word joy. He's written it down. Joy, joy, joy over and over this same theme. He says, no, no trouble for me to keep mentioning this over and over. Why? He says, because it is safe for you. Now there's a side when you hear that going, well, when did we ever think joy wasn't safe? I mean, how is, how is that even a question? But what he means when he says it's safe for you isn't like it's not dangerous. What it means is that it is a safeguard for you. Literally in the Greek, it means it is a fail safe for you. What he's trying to say is if you have joy, then it shows you that your faith is safeguarded. It is secure. In other words, your level of joy is a real thermometer to your spiritual health. It's like taking your pulse. If you have joy, spiritually, you are healthy. If you are joyless, spiritually, you are unhealthy. Now, now stop for a moment and really think about that because I don't think the majority of us think about our spiritual health that way. When, when we want to evaluate our spiritual health, we ask questions like, okay, am I reading the Bible? Am I praying often? Am I going to church? Am I fasting? Am I in a, a D group? You know, am, I, am I tithing? Am I doing the things that Christians are supposed to do? Right? It's all action oriented. And by the way, those are all great things. But what Paul is saying is if you really want to know how you're doing spiritually, check your joy level. Because if you're joyless, that is such a mark of a broken spiritual condition. He's saying, for me to talk about joy, man, this is your safeguard. This is how you know you're okay. And the reason he wants to tell the Philippians about this is because there was someone lurking in the shadows that was coming up to try to steal their joy. Let me go ahead and tell you, there is an incredibly powerful joy killer that is all around the church, all around religion. And it's this ugly little word called legalism. Now, legalism is this idea that as long as you obey the rules of the faith, then God will be pleased with you. 
Which again, that sounds logical. You know, yeah, okay, you obey the rules. God's gonna be pleased with you. But Paul is about to shatter that false belief. And he's gonna expose as he goes through this passage who the people are that are propagating this false belief. And this week is really kind of the antithesis to last week. So if you heard last week, it was really about life-giving friends like Epaphroditus and Timothy and how when we have these friendships, they produce life in us. This week, he's gonna talk about life-sucking relationships. And what he's gonna teach us is that nothing will suck the life out of us and ruin our faith quicker than being around a few narrow-minded legalists. He's gonna really dig in in verses two and three and attack these people. Look at what he says next. Verse two, he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So when it starts off and saying, look out for these people, what, what he's talking about there is a group of people that were known as the Judaizers. The Judaizers were people who taught that if you wanted to be a Christian, you first had to be a good Jew. Think of, think of the nation of Judah. That's where the Jewish people came from, Judaizers. These were people that taught that Jesus was a Jew, and therefore, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you had to be a Jew first. In other words, you had to obey all the rules and regulations. You had to come under the law of Moses. You had to, had to follow their dietary laws, their celebrations, their rituals, their restrictions. You had to do everything a Jew was supposed to do, or you couldn't be a Christian. Now, Paul had been fighting these Judaizers for at least a decade. In fact, if you were here on the very first sermon of this particular sermon series, when we discussed Philippians chapter one, I shared with you the birth story of the church in Philippi from Acts chapter 16. But if you were to go to the chapter right before that, to Acts 15, you're gonna see that Paul, right before he went to Philippi, was working on fighting these Judaizers. So there was something in Acts 15 that was called the Jerusalem Council. And what had happened is in, in Jerusalem, all the early church fathers, the apostles, they were arguing about what it took to be a good Christian. And the Judaizers were there teaching them, no, if you want to be a good Christian, you have to follow the law of Moses because Christianity is really just a grouping within Judaism. So you have to be a good Jew. And Paul comes and he says, no, absolutely not. And here was his reasoning. The spirit of God has come upon the Gentiles all over the world. And if the spirit of God is inside of them, why would they have to become Jews first? And by God's grace, they listened to the apostle Paul and they determined that you did not have to follow the law of Moses. You could pass Go, not collect your $200, go right into Christianity. You didn't have to follow the law of Moses. And this was a great gift, by the way, for every single one of us who's a Gentile, the fact that we can go to directly to Jesus Christ, that's a great gift that was given to us. But just because the Jerusalem council decided that Paul was right and that people didn't have to be Jewish first, it didn't mean that it dissuaded the Judaizers. No, man, they were still hell-bent on finding every single Christian and teaching them they had to follow the law of Moses first. And, I, and honestly, Paul at this point now, this is a decade later, he is sick and tired of these Judaizers following him around and distorting all the churches as they propagate their false message. And that's why he has some pretty lively terms for them back in verse two. If you saw it, he says, watch out for the dogs, for the evildoers and the mutilators of the flesh. Now, let me go ahead and tell you, when he mentions dogs, he, he's not talking about the friendly little fuzzy creature you have in your house. He's not talking about your chihuahua you named Goliath that you treat better than your own children. He's, he's talking about, like in a biblical sense, these dogs were dangerous. They were unclean, filthy animals that traveled around in packs and they would go all kinds of places they weren't supposed to be. Most of the time when you saw a dog, you went running because they were dangerous creatures and they preyed upon anything that they could consume. And he's saying that's what these Judaizers are like. They, they, they're these ravenous 
unclean, dangerous people that are traveling around in packs that are going to places where they shouldn't be, these churches, and they're, they're devouring all these who are ungrounded in the faith. And Paul is sick and tired of it. And so he's not gonna stand for their message. He's gonna rise up and he's gonna do something about it. And so he's gonna confront them because he knows their message is toxic. And he confronts them beautifully by fighting fire with fire. Now, he, he comes up to them, he says, no guys, if you wanna know who the true circumcision is, it's not those who, who mutilate the flesh. And you go, okay, well, what's that referring to when it says mutilate the flesh? Well, that's referring to circumcision, the, the cutting off of the foreskin of the male member. These Judaizers taught that if you wanted to be a Christian, you had to cut off the foreskin, you had to be circumcised, or you couldn't be a Christian. And for the Gentiles, those who weren't raised in the Christian faith, they were, ha they were, they were required to be circumcised, even if they were adults, even if they were grandparents, they had to be circumcised according to these Judaizers. And these Judaizers believed that as long as you followed these rules and regulations, then and only then could you be right with God. Now Paul is sick and tired of this and he tells them, guys, you don't even understand the law of Moses yourselves. You don't even get the idea of circumcision. Circumcision has never really been about, been about a physical thing. It's always been about a heart condition. If Paul had the time with him, he would have detailed out from the Old Testament teaching about circumcision. In fact, I want to read a few passages for you. I want to skip over. Keep your place in Philippians 3. That's where we're going to stay. But if you go over to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, listen to what he says here. He says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. He says, no, it's not really about your physical body. It's about your heart. Circumcise your heart. Don't be stubborn and opposed to God any longer. It's a heart issue. If you flip over to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, find verse six, listen again to what it says. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. He says, circumcise your heart. Why? So you can love me the way I'm supposed to be loved. Circumcision was supposed to be an indicator, not just of the physical body, but of the heart that is inclined toward God. For, for the Jewish people, circumcision had always been the identity of, of faith in, in God. This showed that they were God's people, but it was always supposed to be an identity born from a heart that's given over to him. Therefore, even if you got the physical mark of circumcision, but your heart was not right, the Bible considered you uncircumcised. In fact, I want to read for you one other passage in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. I want to hear how it shows that somebody can be circumcised in the flesh and still not be circumcised. Verse 25 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. He says, all you people who are following the rules and regulations, yeah, you've circumcised the flesh, yeah, you cut the corners of your hair, which is another rule of the law of Moses. You do all the right kinds of things in the law of Moses, but your hearts aren't given over to me, therefore you are uncircumcised in heart. What he was trying to say all over the Old Testament, God was trying to teach us that circumcision was not about a physical thing, obeying a rule. It was about a heart given over to God. And this is the thing that Paul picks back up on. So turn back to Philippians 3 and look back at verse 3. He says it's not about mutilating the flesh. It's not about following rules and regulations. Verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. 
He's saying the true believers, the true circumcision, the true people of God have three things in common. They all worship by the Spirit. They have the Spirit of Christ in them. They all glory in Christ Jesus. He is our means of boasting. And three, they put no confidence in the flesh. Now, Paul could have dealt and dove into all any one of these, but he chose to really park on that third one, to put no confidence in the flesh, because Paul knew that the moment we started to put confidence in the flesh, we would start thinking we didn't need God. That phrase, to put confidence in the flesh, it's really just another way of talking about pride. It's this idea that we can, we can make ourselves right with or without God's help. We put confidence in our own ability to do so. That's pride. And let me go ahead and tell you, nothing, and I mean nothing, will kill your faith quicker than pride. Pride is the original sin. Pride is the original destroyer of the people that God created. You go back to biblical times, you see that the first angel to fall, Satan himself, the angel of light, fell because of pride, because he wanted to be God. You go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they fall because they want to be like God, having the knowledge of good and evil. And so they eat from the tree they were forbidden to eat from. Why? Because of pride. And pride has been destroying souls every single since, ever since then. It comes to us and it destroys us. Pride is the faith killer. And this is the very thing the Judaizers are teaching. The Judaizers are teaching you gotta be proud of your Jewish heritage. And if you're not a Jew, if you're a Gentile, you gotta be proud that you get to be grafted on when you get circumcised. You gotta be proud of your circumcision. You gotta be proud of your ability to follow the law of Moses. You gotta be proud of how good you are. Work your tail off at obeying all the rules and then pat yourself on the back and say, God, now bless me. This was the teaching of the Judaizers and Paul hated that false teaching. He knew how he would destroy the church. And so like I said a second ago, he comes against it, but he comes against it in a beautiful way. He basically grabs those Judaizers and goes slap right across their faith and says, face and says, I'll show you. If you think you're good, I'll show you how much better I am and how this still doesn't work. Let's keep on reading verse four. Listen to what happens in the next few verses. Paul says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Here's what he's saying. You might not recognize it, but he's saying, Judaizers, everything you think you're good at, I'm so much better than you. I run circles around you. You guys can't hold a candle to me. He said, you want to talk about pedigree? Man, I got every single bit of it. I, I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like you're supposed to be. I'm a Jew. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I have all the right pedigree. I have the right look. I have the right accent. I speak the right language. I got it all together. And you want to talk about fervor? Man, I was a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees were the group that was the most radical in obeying all the law of Moses. They were so strict. And it was hard to become a Pharisee. And Paul says, that was me. I was a Pharisee. And you want to talk about zealous? Paul says, I was the one who was killing Christians because I saw them as a threat to the, to the Hebrew faith, to the Jewish faith, and I was going to stamp out any kind of threat. I was that zealous. And then he says, to the law, I was utterly blameless. Now, he didn't say sinless. He said blameless. Now, those are different because according to the law of Moses, when you sinned, there was a means of atoning for that sin. You just had to provide an animal sacrifice. You had to go through all the rules and regulations. And what Paul is saying is that I followed all those rules to a T. I mean, I always did what the law required. That's why I was blameless. He's saying, Judaizers, you think it's through the law? Man, I've done the law so much better than you. And let me tell you what, it doesn't work. He's about to tell them, I've been the best at this. And here's what I discovered. I discovered trying to find faith through obeying a bunch of rules. 
is like trying to find faith in a pile of big D, and I don't mean Dallas. He's talking about dung. That's what he's about to tell us as we keep on reading. Let's keep on reading. See what it says next in verse seven. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I'm gonna explain that word rubbish a little bit more. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Glory, hallelujah. If that doesn't get excited for you, I don't know what will, man. This is incredible truth Paul is saying. He said, yeah, man, I did all that stuff. I followed the law. I had the right pedigree. Everything you Judaizers are saying important, I did it. And let me tell you what I found out. It doesn't work. It does nothing for you. He says, man, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. It is just nothing. It can't get me what I want. You want to know why? Because the very thing I said at the beginning, it is not what you do. It is who you know that matters. And Paul knew this. He knew all his accomplishments didn't measure up. It all came down to who he knew. And that person was Jesus. What he said back in verse eight, he says, for his sake, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He says, nothing even comes close to the surpassing, incomprehensible concept of knowing the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Nothing compares, he says. By the way, this is the very thing that Jesus himself taught. If you were to go to the gospel of John, chapter 17, verse three, he says this thing, Jesus himself, he says this. Verse three, it says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, not walking around the streets of gold, entering the pearly gates, playing all the golf you want, eating all the food you want, all these virgins that you, none of that, that's not eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God and knowing Christ, the son whom he sent. He's saying, this is what it means to live. Man, I, I love how uh, the author, his name is J.I. Packer. He passed away last year, but an incredible thinker and writer. He wrote in a book called Knowing God. It's, it's a seminal book. You, you should read it. It's a powerful book. But this one statement, I think, really puts us all into perspective. He says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. He says, you gotta know that the most important thing is to know God. That's sage advice that J.I. Packer's given us. He's saying, you gotta make the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is you are here to know Christ. And compared to that, nothing else even matters. That's why Paul says, you know, compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ, I've counted everything else as rubbish. Now that term rubbish sounds like trash in English, but actually if you look at the Greek word, it is the technical term for human or animal dung, excrement. If you were Latino, it would be kakapupu. That's what you would call this. The, the worst of the worst. And basically Paul is saying, I'm giving you a comparison here and you choose which one you want to go after. You can see Christ, who is the bread of life, or you can seek these works, which is the dung of man you choose. Listen, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty easy choice for me. See, Paul wants to polarize these and show them how different they are because he knows what's at stake. What's at stake is our very righteousness. That's why he says what he says in verse nine. I want you to go back to verse nine. I want you to read it again. 
Because this is some powerful truth here. Verse nine, he says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What he's saying is, I'm sick and tired of trying to earn my own righteousness by being good, by, by going to church, by doing all the right things, because I don't measure up. He says, I want to have the righteousness that doesn't come from obeying rules. I want the righteousness that comes from knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I want you to know, you have to make the same decision of where your righteousness is going to come from. Because I got breaking news for you. One day, you are going to stand before your maker and you're going to have to give an account for the life that you've lived. And one day, you are either going to be declared righteous or guilty. You're either going to be ushered into eternal life or eternal punishment. And you have no clue how much longer you have on this planet. I did a funeral on Saturday, and it was just a quick reminder, a gentleman who was alive and well, and then that night passed away. We, we don't know how long we have in this life. And the truth is, if we don't walk according to that knowledge of seeking out how we're going to answer that question when we stand before our maker, we're going to be sunk. We have to determine where is our righteousness, righteousness going to come from? Now, now, here's the problem. The problem is so many of us, we try on our own to achieve our righteousness. Listen, every religion in the world is based on that idea. Every religion is just obey the rules and God will accept you and bless you and take you into heaven. But Paul says that doesn't work. This message of the Judaizers, obey all the laws and it's going to be okay, that doesn't work. He says there has to come from a different place because if you try to obey the law of Moses to be saved, you are not going to make it. If you go to the gospel of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus himself talks about this. You go to the book of James chapter 2, he talks about this. He says if you fail at just one point in the law, you are guilty of breaking the entire law. In other words, imagine you're at school and you're taking a test on the Scantron and it's a thousand question test. And if you miss just one you fell the whole thing. It's not like you got a 70 and you pass. It's all or nothing, perfect or nothing. He says, that's the way it is with the law of Moses. And what's so crazy is that many of us, we, we're taking the test. We've already missed the first question on the Scantron and we keep on taking the test like somehow we can make it, but we can't. We're already lawbreakers. We cannot attain our own righteousness. We shouldn't even try. This, this is what Paul is saying. You can't achieve it, so don't even try because when you do, one of two things is gonna happen. Either you're going to be like these Judaizers and you're going to be so self-deceived, you're going to think you can actually accomplish it and you're going to be filled with pride or you're going to be the other side. You're going to realize you have no power to achieve your righteousness. There's no point of even trying and therefore you're going to live miserably wondering if you're ever going to make it into heaven or not. That doesn't win when we try to earn our own righteousness. Paul was the expert at this and he couldn't achieve it. And therefore he said, I don't want to earn my own righteousness. I want a righteousness that comes by faith. You see, Paul had an encounter with a savior named Jesus and it changed his world. He was on the road to a city called Damascus where he was gonna be persecuting Christians over there in order to prove up the valor of his faith. And on this road, there's this bright light that comes up to Paul and he's blinded by it and he hears a voice and the voice is the voice of Jesus. And in that moment, he encounters a relationship with a man named Jesus that would utterly change him for all of eternity. And Paul walked away from that moment saying, Jesus you are my everything. And he realized that when he met Jesus, Jesus made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Jesus said, let me take all your filth, all your shame, all your guilt, 
and let me hand you my righteousness. And Paul opened up his hands and gladly took the righteousness of Christ because he knew Christ. And I want to tell you, Jesus offers the same thing for you. He's offering you that same gift of his righteousness. The question is, are you willing to take it? Now maybe you're going, well, Jason, how do, I, how do I receive that gift? Well, he told us here. He talked about the fact that it was going to be simple. You just got to receive it by faith. In fact, in verse 9, he mentions it twice. He says, I want the kind of righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul's getting redundant here because he's trying to make it simple. Guys, if you want to receive the righteousness of Jesus, it comes through faith. When you place your faith in Christ, you get his righteousness. And then bonus, you not only get his righteousness, you get the very power of God himself. That's when he moved on to verse 10. He says, I want to know him because I, I know with that when I know Christ Jesus, I also receive the power of his resurrection. Man, what, a, what an incredible truth. You get the power, the same power that raised Jesus up from the dead, it becomes ours. That power is available when we know Christ. But the only way to know Christ is to humble ourselves. That's why he says that I want to know the power of his resurrection, but I also have to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's the only way to attain the resurrection. To become like him in his death means to die to self. It means that we humble ourselves before him. And there is one thing that will stop you from humbling yourself. It is that ugly word, pride. Listen, I, I want you to know this. You have been fed a lie your entire life. You have been told that the meaning of life is to get ahead, is to work hard, is to be good, is to make a name for yourself, is to do all that you can and achieve all that you can. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. That is not a truth you need to live by. Actually, there's a more ancient truth that I want you to live by. It's a truth that was given to us 500 years before Jesus even was born. It came from that same prophet, Jeremiah. I don't, I don't know if you remember a second ago, we read Jeremiah 25 and 26 from chapter 9, where we were talking about the, the circumcised in body who were still uncircumcised in heart. He was talking about those who have a heart issue. But two verses before it, he explains why their hearts were broken. And you want to know what the problem was? You guessed it. It was pride. I want to read these verses for you as we finish up. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, they say this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. He says, stop boasting in all the things you can accomplish. Stop boasting in your wisdom and in your riches and in your might. Stop boasting in your religiosity and how much of the Bible that you know and how much you serve and how much you give. Stop boasting in yourself. And if you want to boast in something, boast that you know the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. How about that? Boast that you know the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You know the one who spoke and everything came into being. Boast about that. Tell your friends about that. That's what we get to boast in. Not what we've accomplished on our own. The Apostle Paul is telling us we need to learn this ancient truth that the secret to life is who you know, not what you do. And so the real question I have for you is, do you know Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you, do you know about Jesus Christ? I mean, there are all kinds of people that know about Jesus. There are atheists that know about Jesus. There are Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists that know about Jesus. The demons know about Jesus. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking, do you know Jesus? Do you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Now, biblically, to know Christ doesn't mean to have warm feelings about Jesus. 
It means to have settled in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is and therefore you're willing to follow him wherever he tells you to go. Do you know Jesus like that? Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with him. He's asking you to come to him. And when you do, you discover his righteousness. You discover his power. Do you know him? Now, I believe there are many of you watching this and you do know the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a relationship with him. And if you know him, then I want to reinvigorate your boast today that you know the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to celebrate that. In fact, we're about to sing a song before we take the Lord's Supper. It's a hymn, a beautiful hymn that talks about surveying the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And it says, all my riches gain, I count as loss and pour contempt on all my pride. That's the message that we want to say before the Lord. All those things that used to be gained for me, no, they're loss. I pour contempt on my pride. I humble myself before you because you're my king and you're worthy because I know you, Christ. That's my only boast. So if you're a believer, I want you to get your hearts ready. You're going to take the Lord's Supper in a moment. But let me also say, I know there are some of you watching. There are thousands of you watching this. And there are some of you watching this. And you have not yet come to a full knowledge of Jesus Christ. You haven't entered into a relationship with Jesus. And the time to do so is now. Listen, he is offering himself to you. But there's only one way to know Jesus. You have to come on bended knee. You have to come humbly. So here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to humble yourself before the Lord. Simply by saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've broken your law. I know I'm not worthy of this. I cannot save myself. I cannot become righteous. But if knowing you is the means to attaining your righteousness, then I want it. So forgive me, Lord Jesus, come into me. And the word of God says the very spirit of Christ will come into you and you'll begin an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're ready to take that step today, then you need to do it. All you have to do is pray and seek the Lord. We would love to know because we want to partner with you. So here's what I'd like to ask you to do. If you're ready to take that step of faith, then I want you to send us an email. You can just send an email to prayer at fielder.org. And one of our pastors will find that email and respond back to you quickly and engage in a conversation with you to help you take the next step to find your faith in Jesus Christ. But listen, if you need prayer about anything, something going on in your life, you just need a pastor to stop and pray for you, questions that you have, you need counsel, send that email to prayer at filler.org and we'll reach back out to you. But do it now. So listen, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, during this next song, I want you to respond as you need to. Preparing your heart for the Lord's Supper, celebrating who Christ is, or entering into a relationship with him. So now's the time. You get ready for it.